Well, the first time that I saw her was in 1996. I was a junior in college. I walked into a room and she was there and my heart skipped a beat. I was mesmerized by her beauty, captivated by every image she was displaying to the world. It was like we were meant to be together. Maybe you've experienced that before. And we were together. We started spending minutes that turned into hours, hours turned into days. Soon we could stay up all night together and it just felt like only a moment. You wanna see a picture of her? You know who she is. You wanna see a picture of her from 1996? Here she is, the Nintendo 64. <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? You, you feel me. Hey, if, if you're new here, my name is Jeff Manis, lead pastor here at Element Church, and I promise you I'll get the, the, that story in 64, has an analogy that I'll use here in a moment, I'll get there. Whether you are new here or a regular attender, whether you're here in the auditorium or joining us on video today or sometime later online uh, this week, I'm so thankful that all of you are here with us as we're in week number two of a sermon series on relationships called It Takes Two. Who here remembers when the N64 came out? Remember that? Yeah, man. Some of you guys know how, how I feel. It was a game changer in the video gaming industry. Now, I'm old enough that I've seen the full progression of the video gaming industry. Like, I have seen from the Atari 2600, can I get a witness up in here, all, all the way to where we are today. But when the N64 came out, it literally changed everything in video games. And when we were in college, literally a guy got the game system and for days, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there was a line of guys in the commons area of our dorm playing Super Mario World. And when the controller came to you, you would play until you die and then you pass it on to the next person to play until it came back around to you. If we went to class, it was only because we had a test or a paper due and I'm not sure why we even went at all because we were playing that game so much, we weren't prepared for those important things in life. We come back from class acting surprised, like I don't know why I bombed the test, I can't imagine why, you know? And then our interest began to fade. As levels got harder, as the newness wore off, guys started you know, dropping off out of, out of the group. The excitement just wasn't there anymore until another game came out, James Bond 007. And the cycle started all over again. In fact, it continued with every new game Nintendo released. Now, when you think about it, doesn't that remind you a lot about how we date and prepare for marriage? Think about it. Like how many times have you seen this play out in someone's life or maybe even in your own that just like those video games, you, you meet someone new and you're immediately attracted to them. Your heart skips a beat. You're mesmerized by their beauty. It's like you were meant to be together. So you start spending more and more time together soon. Other things that, that were important are secondary in life. When you're with them, time flies. When you're not with them, all you can do is think about them, but then the relationship gets hard. Something difficult comes your way. It's not as exciting as it once was. The newness of the relationship wears off. You see someone else and the process starts all over again. You go out, gets difficult, you break up. You go out, it gets difficult, break up. You go out, it gets difficult, break up. You go out, you see someone else, you break up. And for some people, for a lot of people, when we do eventually break that cycle and get married, 
It's kind of like the classroom in my video game story. The majority of the time in our relationship, we are focused on the exciting, the exhilarating, the passionate, the, the fun parts of the relationship. But that fire and passion has a way of masking future problems coming our way. And we get married, and like us in college, acting surprised we bombed the test, we act surprised that our marriage didn't work out. When all along we spent so much time practicing the passionate parts, we weren't prepared for the problems that came our way. And so while we're married, we just do what we've practiced all throughout dating, we break up. Now, I know that in saying that, that's not how every marriage that ends in divorce happens. And I want you to know too, that my goal today, my goal is not to belittle anyone for what you've gone through. It's not to place a burden on you more than what you already bear. My goal today is to prevent us from making the same mistake again. That for those of you who are single in the room, our goal as married people, some of us who have gone through the heartbreaking avenues of divorce, our goal is to prevent you from experiencing what we ourselves have already experienced. So it's not about looking back, about looking forward, okay? And it's not for someone else, it's for us, it's for me, it's for you. So here's the big idea for today. If you want to write it down, you can. It's this. Whatever you practice before marriage is what you are preparing for in marriage. That whatever you practice before you're married, that's actually what you're preparing for when you get married. And so if we need to practice the right things, which I think we need to, we have to ask this big question. What should I be practicing before marriage? What should I be practicing before marriage? If you are married, these things should continue once you are. This whole series, we're in one book of the Bible from the Old Testament portion of the Bible, the book of Song of Solomon. Some Bibles call it Song of Songs. Today, we're gonna start in chapter two, verse eight, jumping in right where we left off last week. Um, if you wanna dive, we're not gonna dive into all the details. It's a, it's a poetic book, so it's hard to just understand by reading it. So we're not gonna dive into all the details, but if you wanna do that, there's a book that I've read now twice preparing for this sermon series. It's been super helpful for me. It's a book called uh, The Book of Romance by Tommy Nelson. We actually sold out of them in the store and we ordered some more, but they're not in yet. So you can order it on Amazon, Amazon if you want to, but it dives into all the details of the book. That's The Book of Romance by Tommy Nelson. We have several books in the store that we are kind of saying, hey, these are good ones to read. Uh, if you are looking for a book on dating, the best book I've ever read on dating, it was great for our marriage. My wife and I read it after we were already married a few years ago, but it's by Andy Stanley called The New Rules of Love, Sex, and Dating. The New Rules of Love, Sex, and Dating. It's available in the store as well, along with a number of books on marriage, relationship, and sexuality. Song of Solomon, if you don't know, is eight chapters long. Uh, in it, we see the poetic story of a young man and young woman falling in love. Last week, we saw them go from attraction into this dating or courtship relationship. But in the process, they did not lose focus of who they were, uh, flowing from whose they were, fueling how they were. Their focus remained on God. And so if you did not hear last week's message, you can jump online and watch it on the website or listen on the 
on the podcast. Next week, a head up, heads up for you. Uh, we're gonna look at this couple's wedding and their wedding night, and it's gonna get hot in here next week. It's gonna get steamy up in this place, wanna warn you. We are rating it PG-11, okay? Uh, because 11 years old is about the age that you can stop going to E-Kids. So fifth grade, 11 years old, if your kids are old enough to be in E-Kids, I would highly encourage you put them in there. There'll be something very safe and relevant for them to learn while you're in here. I will not be responsible for questions they ask you if you bring them in here. We're not gonna be crude, but we are gonna have fun. And we're gonna laugh. I got an amen already on that one. Woo! It's one of our staff members too. We're gonna have fun. And uh, we're gonna be clear about what God displays in this couple's sexuality and God's design for sex. I'll give you another heads up. Here's the big question for next week. Here's the big question. What is the secret to great sex? I cannot wait. <laughs> now, if I've not made myself clear so far, I do wanna be clear that I am teaching this whole series through the lens of God, his word, and his ways. And I know that not everyone who comes to Element believes in God yet. You'd not call yourself a follower of Jesus or a follower of his ways. And I get it. You don't have to, to believe that. You're welcome here whether you, you are or not. And if that's you, you have my permission to think about me that this sounds so old-fashioned and outdated. That this dude up there, he is so out of touch. Okay, You have my permission to think that or say that. My response or my question back to you would be this. How is the modern and progressive way working out for the world right now? How's it working out? Because the most conservative estimates you can find, the most conservative would tell us that one out of three marriages end in divorce. One out of three or 33%. Yet, we continue to follow the same practices in the same ways over and over again, somehow expecting a different result. We are so quick in this modern dating age to move into exclusive dating relationships. Like we're talking about fourth, fifth grade. Students are moving into exclusive dating relationships. In fact, can I just throw this out there? I wasn't gonna say it, but I said it in first service and then felt like it was received well. Can we please stop asking little children, do you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend? Can we please stop that? Because what we are training three, four, and five years old is you're supposed to have a boyfriend and you're supposed to have a girlfriend. Let's, let's slow our roll a little bit, right? when it comes to entering into those exclusive relationships. Like when I look at how things are being done, I just have to think there's got to be a better way. There has to be. And maybe, maybe, maybe by following the word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit with me and Jesus, it takes two to make a thing go right. Whatever you practice before marriage will be what you prepare for in marriage, jumping right in, Song of Solomon 2, verse 8 says this. The woman speaking. Ah, I hear my lover coming. He's leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My lover's like a swift gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he is behind the wall, looking through the window, peering into the room. And someone's thinking, this dude sounds creepy. 
It's like, is he a peeping Tom? What is going on right now? He's not a peeping Tom. So here's the first thing we gotta do to practice before marriage. Number one is this, we need an increasing transparency. An increasing transparency. This book is full of poetic language that's difficult to understand. Tommy Nelson in his study of this book says this, the young man was eager to get closer to the woman. He wanted to know everything about her. He was looking through the windows of her heart, gazing through the lattice of her soul to discover her innermost thoughts, opinions, feelings, and secrets. In other words, their relationship was moving now beyond just a physical connection, and they were pursuing the power of communication. They were truly getting to know one another. Now, I think communion, uh, communion, communication might be the most overlooked part of preparing for marriage, communication. In fact, I think communication is probably the most overlooked part of all relationships, romantic or not. We're just not great in general at communication. It, lack of or poor communication has been the downfall of many great relationships, like I've seen some relationships you thought were just solid, but they never learned to talk and it just blew up in their, in their face. Why is that? Like, why aren't we learning to communicate if we know it's so important? Well, one of the reasons why, especially when it comes to romantic relationships, is I think we believe our chemistry will get us through hard times. Chemistry is easy, by the way. It happens naturally. You can walk into a room and in five seconds think you have chemistry with someone. Like, like chemistry, the problem is chemistry might fuel your passion, but it's only communication that will help you overcome your problems. Chemistry doesn't overcome problems. Communication does. And the reason communication takes practice, and it does, by the way, you're never a master at it. The reason it takes practice is we don't all communicate in the same way. A lot of it has to do with your personality. Much of it has to do with the way you are raised. I'm about to blow your mind with something here. You might want to write this down, but men and women are different. <laughs> Price of admission right there. Like, be careful where you say amen, okay? So I'm going to get myself in trouble and spare you guys the cost. I tell my wife all the time, I can't read your mind. That I know that you sometimes ask me questions linked to a conversation from two weeks ago. But unless you tell me that question is linked to that conversation, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so, hey, I told you not to say amen. So, just to let you know how it is, here is a real text conversation my wife and I recently had that shows a struggle of communication. So let's bring that picture up. This is actually from my phone. I screenshot it. The, the question now from another conversation. Right, right there, she asked me, can you send me the picture you took of Ryan? That's her brother. It's old. So I'm thinking we were with Ryan somewhere because we've seen him multiple times. So I asked, from where? Thinking, where were we at? She said, in your photos on your phone. As if I didn't know where photos were stored on my phone. So I said, but where was it? When was it? That would help in knowing what to look for, in which she said, never mind. Which is equal to what's wrong, nothing. 
So I said, I'm seriously trying to find it, LOL, trying to break the mood. <laughs> Just wondered where we were when we took it, where was it? She said, it's okay, thanks for trying. Then she said what she should have started the conversation with, you took a picture of a picture. I was like, oh, that one of when you were kids? You have to be direct, I'm a man. To which she said, you can't read my mind and blew me hearts. <laughs> So yes, communication in general can be a barrier in a relationship. And at some level, it is a continual learning process, as you can see after 20 years of marriage. But when it comes to actually practicing before marriage what you want to prepare for in marriage, I think there's three main ways we need to grow in our transparency. Three main ways we've got to learn to communicate better, uh, to grow in, and the key word is grow. Because each of these communication pieces should grow towards marriage and continue growing after. Okay, so here's the first one. We're gonna to touch on these and we're gonna move on. The first communication piece is this connection. So connection communication are a little easier to share at the start of a relationship and probably the most easy to share as the relationship grows. This is where you talk about plans, hopes, dreams, interests, hobbies. What do you like to do for fun? Where do you want to travel? And by the way, this should not stop after marriage. Like interests change in life, right? We get new interests, new hobbies, new ideas. In fact, one of the coolest things my wife and I have ever done in this area of communication was a couple of years ago, I told her, I said, I want us to build a bucket list, things we want to do or accomplish before our life is over, whenever that day comes. And we both made a list separately without each other's help. Then we brought those lists together and combined the ones that we all had the same, but I learned so much cool stuff about my wife that I had no idea she had desires for, that if we would not have built that list, I never would have known. And now for the last several years, we, we have a, a little photo book at home that will take pictures of ourselves as we accomplish these bucket list items and put it into the photo book and it's there forever for us to remember this connection piece of our relationship. So that's just something you might wanna do with, with your marriage. The second part of communication we've got to grow in is this clarification. That as a relationship moves farther, especially when marriage comes in the picture, Okay, you start talking about, you know, we might get married, those kinds of conversations. You need to start talking about expectations in marriage. Got to clarify what your expectations are. Specifically, what are your expectations sexually in marriage, financially, parentally? Do you want to have kids? How many kids do you want to have? How will you raise those kids? Very important conversation for blended families, by the way. When you're coming in with children already raised a certain way and get new someone coming, that causes conflict. There's a great book out there, by the way, uh, Smart Step Families, I believe it's called, uh, Four Blended Families, which I know we have a lot of here in our church, and that's a great tool for you to use. Uh, you gotta talk about where you're gonna go to church if you don't go to the same church. You'd be surprised how many couples get married without ever talking about some of the most controversial parts of life. Money, sex, parenting, faith. Like if you go through some good premarital counseling before you're married, they will guide you through some of these conversations, but you won't believe how many couples we interact with in our own church who think they don't need premarital counseling. 
and I'm just being honest here, but they're usually the same ones who are looking for counseling after they're married. Because they did not have these tough conversations, clarifying their expectations. The last one's the hardest one and should be saved for the more further you're on a relationship, but the last one's confession. I am a firm believer, I could be wrong, it's my opinion. I'm a firm believer in revealing all of who you are, what you've done, and who you've been with to your spouse before you get married. All of it. Now, you should not tell someone everything about you on your first date before marriage. <laughs> okay, slow your roll. But I believe there should be nothing left unsaid on your last date before marriage. Why? Because that way you are going into marriage knowing you've held nothing back. You can live in the freedom of knowing that your spouse cannot find anything about you they don't already know. You'd be surprised how many dirty little secrets make their way into marriage and then ruin it in the end. And by the way, if you practice keeping secrets before marriage, guess what you're preparing for? Keeping secrets after you're married. Now, I know someone might be thinking, well, what if, what if they can't forgive me? Here's my response. If they cannot forgive you for what you have done to or with someone else, how could you ever expect them to forgive you when you sin against them? Because you will. You need to know if this person you're marrying is a person of forgiveness or unforgiveness, and we'll come back to that in a second. Tommy Nelson says this, what you share should be at the level of trust you've established between you, and trust takes time to build. It leads right into point number two. Whatever you practice before marriage is what you're preparing for in it. So what should we practice? Increasing transparency. That communication, that connection, that, that uh, confession. We want to, clarification, want to bring that in. Number two is this. You need an increasing trust. Increasing trust. Song of Solomon 2, 10 through 15 says this, my lover said to me, so the young man now is being told of speaking this, rise up, my darling, come away with me, my fair one. Look, the winter is past and the rains are over and gone. The flowers are springing up, the seasons of singing birds has come, and the cooing of turtle doves fills the air. I love the poetic imagery here. The allusion to springtime indicates life. That in the spring, things blossom and grow. They come alive. They produce good fruit. And that's what their relationship was doing, producing good fruit. The fig trees are forming young fruit. The fragrant grapevines are blossoming. Rise up, my darling. Come away with me, my fair one. My dove is hiding behind the rocks, behind an outcrop on the cliff. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is pleasant and your face is lovely. So powerful, by the way. That as their relationship grew, so did their transparency. They were getting to know one another, learning to interact. As their transparency increased, so did their trust. And this young man was saying to this young woman, it's safe to be with me. Come out from behind the rocks. You don't have to hide who you are anymore. That winter is over, spring has come. I will protect you. I will guard your heart. I will guard the relationship. Then verse 15. Catch all the foxes, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love for the grapevines are blossoming. This was my aha moment reading this passage. 
You see, most relationships are not ruined by raging fires. We think they are, but they're not. Most relationships are ruined by little foxes that keep the marriage from producing fruit. They go unnoticed almost. They keep trust from increasing in the relationship. So I ask myself the question, what are the foxes that ruin trust? What are they? And we could name a lot. We could name a lot. I think, though, every fox that ruins trust can be summed up in two things that then lead us to a necessary third. The first one is this, selfishness. I asked Charlie Reed, a local counselor, a marriage counselor who attends our church, does a lot of our premarital and marital counseling, what he thought the most destructive foxes were in a marriage. And he said, without a doubt, this is quoting him, selfishness ruins more marriages than anything else that comes through my door. All too often, I think this theme song for our life and our marriages and our relationship is Janet Jackson's What Have You Done For Me Lately? What have you done for me lately? Ooh. Oh, I wanted the ooze. Nobody ooed last service either. Bad singing, I know, but the truth is the same. So can I suggest that instead of asking, what have they done for me? What if we chose to simply serve them because of what Jesus has already done for us? Selfishness comes easy. We're born with it. Ask any parent of a toddler. You don't teach kids to be selfish. It's natural. Self-denial takes practice. And if you will not practice self-denial before marriage, what makes you think you will self-deny after marriage? Second one is disrespect. The way you talk to one another, the way we talk about one another should increase trust in relationship, not tear it down. This young man said about the young woman, your voice is pleasant. So ladies, I'll get to the guys in a second, so hang with me. Ladies, is your voice pleasant to your man? I just saw some wife look at her husband. Do not answer that question. Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs as well, Proverbs 21, verse nine. It's better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a lovely home. Be careful, guys. Verse 19, it's better to live alone in the, de in the desert than with a quarrelsome, complaining wife. So I don't know who to attribute this quote to, but I heard it, it's great, I've used it before. So lady, I'll get to the guys in a second. Ladies, inside of every man is a prince or a pauper. The one you choose to speak to is the one who will come alive. Men, Proverbs 31, 28, her husband praises her. You praising your wife? Are you lifting up her head, complimenting her? without expecting anything in return. First Peter 3, 7 in the New Testament, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, although I've seen some of you guys, I'm not sure it's quite true, but she may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Look at this, guys. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. Hello. 
that God can actually shut off hearing our prayers by how we treat our spouse. The last one, unforgiveness. I mentioned it before, at some point in your relationship, you and your spouse, probably multiple times, will act selfishly and in disrespect. You will offend the one you love. And in those moments, you can choose to forgive or choose to fight. You choose to forgive or choose to flee. You choose to forgive or choose to forfeit the relationship altogether. Whatever you practice before marriage, what you're preparing for in it. So what should we practice? Increasing transparency, increasing trust. Got to catch all those foxes before they ruin the vineyard. Then verse 16 through chapter three, verse four, the woman says, my lover is mine and I am his. They were fully transparent had full trust. He browses among the lilies before the dawn breezes blow and the night shadows flee. Return to me, my love, like a gazelle or a young stag on the rugged mountains. Tommy Nelson says in this poetic language that she is alluding to her desire to be intimate with this man all night long. All night, all night, all night long. It's karaoke day at Element. One night as I lay in bed, I yearned for my lover, I yearned for him, but, she, but he did not come. I said to myself, I'll get up and roam the city, searching in all its streets and squares. I'll search for the one I love. So I searched everywhere, but did not find him. The watchman stopped me and as, as they made their rounds and I asked, have you seen the one I love? Then scarcely had I left them when I found my love. I caught and held him tightly. And then I brought him to my mother's house, into my mother's bed where I had been conceived. I can't get into all the details here, but basically she wanted the chill part of Netflix and chill. <laughs> if you don't know what that means because you're too old, it means she wanted to be intimate with this man. So what do you think the next verse is gonna say? Go for it. You're in love. Not gonna hurt anybody. Verse five, the man speaking Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, O daughter of God, by the gazelles and wild deer, not to awaken love until the time is right. This blew me away, blew me away. That so far in this story that we've read last week and today, two times this young woman was ready to give herself intimately to this man and both times it was the man who said, not yet. The time is not right. Their passion was increasing, but so was their protection of their purity. That, that passion, here's what Tommy Nelson says. Passion will grow naturally in courtship, right? Like the closer you get to marriage, sexual temptation does not get easier. It gets more difficult. So passion will grow naturally in courtship, but so must restraint. The Bible treats desire as normal, expected, and good, but there is a divine time and place for it. So number three thing out of practice is this, an increasing transformation. An increasing transformation. Now, I know there are some people who will be tempted to take the big idea for today and use that as their excuse to move in together and start having sex. We're just practicing before marriage what we want to be prepared for after marriage. I don't know what the big deal is. <laughs> In doing that though, what you're actually doing is participating in things preserved for marriage 
while ignoring the parts that will actually prepare you for marriage. True intimacy and the best sex grows out of increasing transparency and real trust. Having sex will not prepare you for marriage. In fact, it might actually mask other issues that should prevent you from being married. I heard one marriage counselor say that a large percentage of couples who end up getting divorced would never have even made it to the altar of marriage were it not for premarital sex in their life. That the excitement and energy and passion of sex masked other issues that eventually destroyed their marriage that the relationship probably was barely hanging on, but by having sex, it was like pouring lighter fluid on a flickering flame. That'll erupt for a moment, but it dissipates quickly. And church, we will never stay warm with just kindling and lighter fluid, yet we so often hope to build our marriages on chemistry and sexual passion that burns for a moment it's gone. So whatever you practice before marriage, you're gonna prepare for it, isn't it? So if I pursue sexual sin before marriage, what will stop me from pursuing it after? Because by the way, marriage does not eliminate sexual temptation. I actually think marriage elevates it. Why? Because now that we're married, the enemy wants to divide. And so how will he divide a couple with sexual sin? Before you're married, you might be tempted to sin sexually with the one you love. After you're married, you will be tempted to sin sexually against the one you love. That's why I gotta practice purity before we're married. Have this increasing transformation. So I know a message like this, it brings up all sorts of feelings and memories and hurt and pain, I get it. And so can I just say that I, I, I have that in my life too. And while I have passed hurt from poor decisions, I know there's a God who gives hope. And while I have pain from past decisions, I have a God who's powerful enough to overcome that pain. And while I have dirt in my past, I have a God who provides a way to be clean. And so I'm not here to make you feel bad for what you've done. I'm here to hopefully inspire you to live a new way in the future. That what's done, we cannot change. What's coming, we can. Now you might need to ask God for forgiveness. I get that. And you know what? God's not ashamed of you because of your past. In fact, God's coming right up next to you saying, I already know. Would you let me clean you up? And he will. He will. He can take your past. He can forgive it. He can set you on a new course in life. And listen, I know. I know in our marriages right now, there are parts of our marriages that are dead and they need to be brought back to life. They need to be. There are people who you are overwhelmed by what you've done and you need God to bring victory into your life. That's why I think these last two songs are so important that we're gonna sing. So I'm gonna ask the band to come out, I'm gonna pray, and uh, 
We're gonna move into a time of singing and I just ask you to respond however you feel appropriate. We're gonna sing the song Resurrecting, coming back to life and the great I am, that God's an overcomer no matter what you've gone through in this life. So would you stand with me? I'm gonna pray. Band, you can come out. God, thank you so much for being a great God. I thank you, Lord, that no matter how dead something might feel in our relationship, you can make it new. Bring it to life. Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name that you bring to life dead parts of our relationship. And Lord, I pray right now for those who are struggling, saying, I, I, I need to overcome. God, I pray right now by the power of Jesus, the blood shed on the cross, and the resurrection power, may you overcome in our lives. God, we love you, give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.